This episode of the Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Greetings, programs, and welcome back to the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. And uh, Derek is fresh from Celebration. That's why we didn't have a show last week. Tell us a little bit about Celebration and what you thought. Uh, So where to begin on Celebration? (laughs) I could sum it up with it had some of my favorite moments like at any con I've ever been to and also some of the worst. Yeah. Well, I know I'll you're, say, uh, you're going to be talking about it at length on, uh, the nerd cave podcast this week, right? Correct. Yeah. I made my return to the nerd cave podcast this week. So if you guys want to check that out, um, that will be available on Friday. Um, if you want to check out my, full in-depth review of celebration but to i'll do i'll just do a quick recap here um high points you're seeing the two main panels the star wars 40th anniversary and the the last jedi and also you know seeing the trailer before everyone else did with a bunch of rabid star wars fans was that was something that was on my bucket list mm-hmm. so getting to check that off was really cool both panels were great uh, if no one's watched, especially the 40th anniversary panel with, you know, George Lucas, Harrison Ford, and then the the tribute that um, Carrie Fisher's daughter did to her, which, you know, put everybody in tears, myself included. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, the curtains open and you see this orchestra led by the great John Williams. That's fantastic. Uh, that place just erupted. I'll tell you one of the the coolest things I ever saw was I actually saw um, when they did the tour of the London Symphony Orchestra doing the music of Star Wars, and they did it. uh, It was hosted by Anthony Daniels, and um, behind the orchestra, they actually had clips of the movies that they would play while they were playing different um, songs from the movies, and it was epic. That's awesome. But seeing that was really cool, and um, doing you know some of the, the media stuff that I did get to do was really cool. I got exclusive access to a Star Wars Rebels press conference, um, got reserved seating for the Rebels panel, actually got to see the season premiere of season four that's already been completed but won't air until the fall. That's awesome. Uh, the seeing that was really cool. Uh, you could check out the audio from the panel and the press conference. Uh, on last week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience, and that was an uh, that was a great episode. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun to do. And the audio was great, man. It sounded like you were plugged into the board for the press conference. I was. Ah, it they actually so had a, a soundboard, and there were like three other Zoom recorders besides mine that were that were plugged into it. 
Oh no, I was so, listening to it and I w- couldn't believe how good it sounded. I was like, "Damn, Derek, you got some really good audio of this stuff." Something that is like a a pet peeve of mine is having good audio. Yeah. Even even with watching like YouTube videos, you can get by with decent video quality, but if it sounds like shit, you're not going to listen to it yeah, or watch exactly. it. Exactly. Now the bad stuff so when we got there Wednesday night and you know, we went in, they had this giant LED banner right inside the doors that said Star Wars Celebration. So I'm like, okay, sweet, this is awesome. Go up the escalator, walk down this really long uh, hallway, and we go into this big open room that we're on like the third floor of four in the convention center. And there's no signage whatsoever to tell you where to go. Hmm. So we ask a security person where we're supposed to go. Cause we're like, Hey, we're here to, you know, camp out for the star Wars panel that's tomorrow. And it was like, Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so eventually we found our way. We camp out. We wake up the next morning and they open the doors again at 5 because they, they shut the doors at midnight for those who are camping out. The doors open again at 5 a.m. And this huge group just runs in and they cut to the front of the line. Oh. So tons of people. murdered somebody. Tons of people missed out on the on the panel. And I was even one of them. We had to watch the panel in a theater. Like we weren't actually in the room where it was happening. That's awful. For the 40th anniversary. And it's not just, you know, I mean, yeah, I was upset that I didn't get to see it, but there were like 12 year old kids who camped out for this. There were two people that I talked to that flew in all the way from France, had never been to America before. They were there specifically for Star Wars celebration. They got there that day and they were leaving Sunday. And they missed out on the panel because a bunch of jackasses thought that they had to be the exception to the rules. Thanks a lot, you dirty neck beards. <laughs> exactly. So then uh, <clears throat> you guys touched on it on a pop culture palette, but the lines were awful. We waited once the 40th anniversary panel was over. We went to the you know, the exhibit floor where they had all the vendors and everything. So we get in line for the celebration store. We waited three hours in line. And then after we got our merchandise, we had to wait another hour and a half in the checkout line. Dude, that just sounds awful. Like, that's not fun. It's not. It's absolutely not. And then when we camped out for the last Jedi panel, and this was one of the, this was another one of the positives. Ryan Johnson, the director of the last Jedi came into the giant room where everyone was camping out Mm -hmm. and actually like shook hands and signed autographs with everybody. He stayed there till 4 AM. Wow. Which I thought was great. That's a cool dude right there. Yeah. I I took, you know, a photo with him for those who follow me on Facebook. It's my profile photo. So same thing happens again. People cut in line for the last Jedi panel. But luckily, we were with a group that, I guess, decided that they had had enough. Mm-hmm. So they went to one of the staff members and complained about it. And 
she got us into the panel. Nice. So out of the entire weekend, only one person really took like any type of initiative. So it just seems to me like they just need new management. They were they oversold the event. They they sold eighty five thousand tickets. Wow, that's crazy. And and they they didn't have nearly enough staff to cover it. And the the whole thing was just planned very poorly. Like a lot of people, because you could pre order autographs online. Mm-hmm. And I read stories about people who pre ordered like nine autographs. And we're only able to get like two or three of them because that's how long the lines were. Like some people waited in line all day just to get one or two autographs. They they they, well, they definitely need better uh, management, better organization. I mean, that just sounds awful. I've I don't I've never heard anything that bad. I mean, we, we've got a pretty bad um, con here on, on the Gulf Coast uh, that I won't speak of, but. Pensacon is awesome. Like it is yeah. well run and well, um, I mean, there's signs everywhere, even though everything's really spread out, you can't get lost. I mean, there's so many signs everywhere. There's so many people there helping. I mean, you can't walk 10 feet without running into a volunteer or someone there that's willing to help you, you know, and that's how it's supposed to be run. But this just sounded like it was just a complete mess. Well, and even the early days of Pensacon, you know, they they had issues with that as well, but they made adjustments. Yeah, but you learn from your mistakes. I mean, yeah. You know, how long has celebration been around now? Years. I mean, this stuff should be taken care of by now. Yeah, I I think it being so understaffed had a lot to do with it, but it was um, <clears throat> my overall thoughts of it. There were some really great things that happened, but also some really bad things that happened. As long as the company that's running it is running it, I will probably not go to another celebration, hmm. which is sad to say because like Star Wars is my thing. Yeah. And and you know just the the way it went down was was very much a disappointment. <laughs> well, there you have it. If you're wondering how celebration went by someone who was at ground zero, you heard it here first. It was, it was definitely <laughs> ground zero. It just, I, yeah, I'm, I've always wanted to go to celebration, but after you, what you've described to me, I really don't have any, uh, any desire to go because I don't want to wait in lines. I mean, the fun thing about going to a convention is being able to just kind of walk around. I mean, you can wait in a line if you want to. I mean, there's certain times that I've waited in line to get a certain autograph or something here and there, but I'm not going to wait three hours in one line to get something and then wait another hour and a half to, to check out and then wait overnight in a line just to have hundreds of people cut in line in front of you. Like that's just, no, that sounds completely awful. And I would never want to put myself through that. Yeah, it was, um, it was an experience. I mean, overall, I don't regret going because of the last Jedi incident. Yeah, because like I said, that was something that was on my bucket list. So that was really cool. But all in all, you know, not not the best con I've been to for sure. That sucks. But yeah, let's go ahead and um, actually let's move into our news for this week. (laughs) 
Now we have two stories here, and we didn't. We have one of these because we actually we didn't have a show last week, so we haven't gotten to talk about it. But uh, both of these stories kind of go hand in hand, so we're going to kind of do both of them together. Um, and I'll actually start out with uh, the NES Classic Edition has been discontinued. Uh, this comes from Polygon.com. Nintendo is discontinuing the NES Classic Edition, a plug-and-play console, blah, blah, blah. You know all this already. Uh, and the statement from Nintendo itself throughout April, NOA territories will receive the last shipments of Nintendo Entertainment System NES Classic Edition systems for this year. We encourage anyone interested in obtaining the system to check with retail outlets regarding availability. We understand that it has been difficult for many consumers to find a system, and for that, we apologize. We have paid close attention, <coughs> horseshit, to consumer feedback, and we greatly appreciate the incredible level of consumer interest and support for this product. So basically, it's a big middle finger to Nintendo's fans who really want to get their hands on this thing, but didn't get to a person like myself. Basically, they're saying, yeah, we know you want this, and there's a high demand for it, but eh, go screw yourself. We're not going to do anymore. That whole thing was just handled awful from it's, the beginning. Oh, it's it's epically, it's an epic fail on Nintendo's part. Although, oh for sure, and it says an update: the Famicom Classic Edition, the Japanese version of the of the Mini NES, has also ended production. Yet Nintendo phrased this announcement in an interesting way on its Japanese website: "This product has ended production for now. When production is being resumed, we will tell you on our website." So does that mean that it's uh, possibly we're going to get it again? Because it's sent with a, in the American press release, it's basically just saying, we don't want your money. We're not making them anymore. I guess Nintendo is allergic to money. I don't know. I don't know what they could. I mean, okay, I understand that there's probably, you know, if they're going to put these things into production, I understand that there's a startup cost to putting these things into production. And they probably paid a lot of money into um, uh, licensing fees with some of the third-party games that were on it. But if you look at this in the long run, if they would have kept this thing in production, I mean, yeah, it probably would have been slow throughout the year, but this is one of those products that would probably sell a ton during the Christmas season, because y you go to any kind of CVS or, um, you know, a Rite Aid or, um, you know, a dollar store or Walmart or Target, and you see those retro systems, those, um, you know, the, the Genesis emulator and the, you know, the little Atari um, little plug and plays, those things sell like crazy during the holidays. And, those are just systems that people are like, hey, this would be cool to have. But you're talking about a mini Nintendo Entertainment System where there are literally hundreds of millions of people or at least tens of millions of people that had one of these as a kid that want one of these. And not only parents, people who are my age who have kids that are young children or young teens, and they want to share these experiences of 
you know, having this Nintendo console and not having to go buy an old console or dig theirs out of, you know, the, the, the attic and clean and dust all these old games. Like most people don't even know how to clean their systems or clean their games. They don't want to have to deal with all that. They just want to go to the store and buy the system, plug it in and play games with their kids. Now, this is something that over the years could have made Nintendo possibly billions of dollars selling these things over the course of the next five to six years. I mean, how many? They they sold 1.5 million units in January. Now, by my math, at 60 bucks a piece, and let's just say roughly they make 30 bucks off of each one, they made $45 million in January off of these things. Now, imagine if they could do that every year for Christmas. How much money would that be for Nintendo? Do they just hate money? That's, that's the only thing I can think of is they hate us and they hate money. I feel like they have the right people there that are making the actual games. But when it comes to like marketing, they need to seriously reevaluate whoever it is they have because... Nintendo has had this air about them for the last out of decade that they possibly don't give even a shit. more that they're that they're out of touch. Yeah. And that they don't care. Well, I think what it is and I've heard a lot of rhetoric about this is Nintendo is very rigid and which is understandable because they are still a Japanese run company and the American arm the Nintendo of North America still have to do what the Japanese head of the company says and this is very japanese that they would put a plan in place to say okay we're only going to do this many nintendo classics and then we're going to switch to the super nintendo classic which is the next story we're going to get to now i know that their plan was probably to only do 1.5 or 1.6 million units of these and then stop production and go into the snes but they're not going to change their plan to just say, okay, well, these things are doing really well. Um, maybe we should keep these in production while we put out the Super Nintendo as well. Exactly. They're so rigid that they're not willing to um, kind of change their plans like that on, on a whim. It's just they're just not uh, – they just will not do that. It doesn't make any sense. But to, to segue off of what you were saying, I feel like I feel like the gaming gods saw my uh, my struggles at celebration <laughs> and they wanted to cheer me up with this news. This comes to us from Polygon.com as well. Eurogamer is reporting that a SNES or SNES, as I like to call it, classic edition is on the way to replace the recently discontinued NES classic edition. The SNES Mini is currently scheduled to launch in time for Christmas this year, Eurogamer states. Development of the device is already underway, our sources have indicated. The sourcing is thin, but the release of a Super Nintendo Classic Edition is one of the possible, if not likely, reasons we came up with for the discontinuation of the NES Classic. Nintendo has enough classic systems and games to keep each release smaller than demand, guaranteeing artificial scarcity and headlines for years. Now, on Here's, the surface of this, I'm just going to say this one thing bef before you say anything else. Good luck getting one of these when it comes out. You thought it was hard to get an NES Classic Edition? Just wait. 
I'll fight someone over this. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll say on the surface of this, you know, my first reaction is, oh, sweet, a mini Super Nintendo. You know, I, my thing has been from the very beginning of this podcast, the SNES was my console growing up. Love the Super Nintendo, had so many great games for it. They, they will have no problem filling up if they stick with the 30 games. They will have no problem doing that. Now, the thing is, will Nintendo look back and see what they did with the NES Classic and think, oh, that was great, let's do it again. Or, hey, maybe we should sell more of these. Huh. My gut instinct says they will probably do the exact same thing that they did for the mini NES. Well, they wrote, they said it perfectly in the last line of the article. Quote, this seems like a no-brainer from Nintendo, comma, but Nintendo is a company that seems to drop the ball on many of its no-brainers. End yep. quote. No, that's true. I, this is something that, you know, I I did really want the NES, and I did, you know, I looked for it fairly extensively. But this, like, I will, I'll wake up in cold sweats if I can't find this many in SNES. Well, how do you think I feel about the NES? I mean, I did get a report that there was one in Ocean Springs uh, at the, the GameStop a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, but I didn't have the money at the time to go get one. And even if I did, more than likely, it would be gone by the time I got there. You know, like, what are the chances that it would still be there? Like, you know, the day after the dude told me it was there. I mean, chances are pretty slim that it would still be there. Yeah. And I'm not going to pay three, four, five hundred dollars for one of these. I'm just not going to do it. Why would I do that when I have all the games already for my original Nintendo that still works? The only reason I wanted one of these is because nostalgia reasons. I mean, I wanted something that I could hook up to my HDTV in the living room and play games with my wife. You know, I, I can't just, stand people that do that, that buy like something a, that other people want and then they sell it. And that's what I'm talking about. Good luck trying to get one of these when it, and they, when it comes out in December, because all of the, the scalpers, you know, they're going to be, you know, doing some shady, nefarious shit. Because if you don't think that, you know, your local GameStop you know, the, the dude that accosts you or, or female doesn't matter that as soon as you walk in the door, you know, like throws you up against the wall and is just like, Hey, you want to put $5 down on this game? Anything I can help you with? Huh? Hey, what are you looking for today? Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? You can't even walk in the damn store without being accosted. You don't think they're susceptible, susceptible to somebody walking in with, you know, $50 or hundred dollars and saying, look, when you get your shipment in, you call me. I will buy every single one of these, um, and I'll split the profits with you, or I'll give you a quarter, because these things are going to go for hundreds of dollars right out of the truck. You don't think they're susceptible to that? You don't think there's going to be a lot of nefarious, shady shit going on? These things are never even going to get to the store shelves. They're just oh, no not doubt. going to happen. No doubt. Even at Celebration, there were people that were buying, like, you know, armloads of t-shirts and other merchandise. And sure enough, they're on eBay. Yeah. Like one of the shirts I got was a Han Solo uh, flight school shirt. 
that shirt was on eBay for like 200 bucks. Jesus. And people will pay it. And that's the crazy thing. It doesn't oh, make any sense. I I think I've pretty much said all I need to say, and let's go ahead and move out of this because I'm just getting really tense about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll follow this story uh, fairly. Close. I'll keep my ear to the ground. Yeah, on we'll, this one, we're gonna keep our um, we'll keep you updated on this throughout the year. And I guarantee you, mark my words, what episode is this? 34. At the end of the year, when you can't get your hands on one of these damn things, and they're instantly on Facebook uh, for sale tab for like five, $600, I'm going to sit there with a big I told you so sign. We'll put an asterisk, listen to episode 34 yep. to... Uh... To hear your proof. <laughs> but here we go. Let's let's talk a little bit about this month in video game history. In 1994, on April 2nd, Square Company releases Final Fantasy VI, then known as Final Fantasy III in North America for the SNES on April 2nd in Japan and October 11th in North America. Now... I can't keep up with all this Final Fantasy stuff that has been going on for the past 30 years. So I, I'm, I'm no, I can't even begin to explain what that sentence meant. The numbering system has always been really confusing because they, they keep some in Japan, some they'll release in North America. So they change the numbers. They're like, Oh, six is really three. Oh, four is really two. Yeah. And what I, this is one reason why I can't get into Final Fantasy is it just confuses me. Yeah, like you like where do you start? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I I don't know. I mean, even if I really like, don't know. do they even get new players nowadays when they release a Final Fantasy game? Is it one of those things that like every game is different so you can just kind of jump in wherever or is it all like one continuous storyline? Like I how does that even work? I have no idea. I've literally played one Final Fantasy game in my entire life, and it's a spinoff. Like, it has nothing to do with, you know, it's not like a Final Fantasy 3, 4, or 5. It's not in the numerical system. Hmm. But it's, um, it still has its following. You know, I, I interviewed, um, uh, I don't know what you would exactly call her profession, but she does research with video games and how they affect kids. Yeah. And she's a huge Final Fantasy fan. Cool. So, and she was like, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're into it, you know, that, that's great and everything, yeah. but I, I've just never, it's never really appealed to me. Yeah, me neither. I, I mean, I did see the movie that was put out. Um, I don't know when that was, what was it called? Final fantasy spirits within or something like that. It was that like one of the very right. first, like fully CGI movies that with actors that were completely CGI, but they were voiced by the actual actors. It was weird. <laughs> you are correct. It is final fantasy. The spirits within. Yeah. I knew it was something like that. Hmm. I remember the seeing this poster in theaters. Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember anything about the movie. <laughs> Nothing. Maybe that's another one we should do a commentary for after Maybe. Mario brothers. We should. We need to do. We still got to do the Mario Brothers one first. <laughs> yes, we do. In 1995, on April 28th, Super Bomberman 3 was released. 
It was the first game in the Super Bomberman series to not get an American release. Final game in the series to be released outside Japan. Have you ever played a Bomberman game before? I have not. I, I mean, I know the franchise because that's definitely kind of a, a classic Nintendo property. Not, I mean, not owned by Nintendo. It's Hudson Soft, but Bomberman was definitely one of those like classic uh, Nintendo titles. Yeah, it's, Bomberman's been around for a while. The only game that I ever played for it was for the Game Boy, and it was Wario versus Bomberman. It was it was played in the Bomberman style of game, but it had like a Mario slash Wario twist on it. So that was the only reason why it appealed to me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, it's another franchise, much like Final Fantasy. You know it. It has its it has its fan base. There's a new Bomberman game for the Switch. Oh wow! So They're Bomberman's still, still kicking around, but <laughs> I've never, other than that one venture on the yeah. Game Boy, I've never played a Bomberman game. I guess if I run across some old Bomberman games, I might as well go ahead and pick them up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would hurt. Cause I don't, I've never played one, so I mean, I know the franchise, but like I said, I never played any of them. Yeah, that's one. Like, I know they have their fan base, but I've never met like a diehard Bomberman <laughs> fan. Yeah, I'm sure they're out there. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? In uh, April 30th of 1995, Lucas Arts released Full Throttle as a graphical adventure. Uh, developed by LucasArts and designed by Tim Schafer. That sounds really familiar. Who is Tim Schafer? Um, he did. God, that name does sound Oh, familiar. yeah, Grim Fandango, Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, uh, Secret of Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, and Day of the Tentacle. So this dude is uh, gaming royalty, basically. Like, this guy's come up with a lot of cool stuff. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at the... The art now, apparently they did a remastered version of Full Throttle. This looks like it might have been like a, um, like a, almost a predecessor to Brutal Legend, almost. I like the look to it. Yeah. It's I mean, got, it looks very, looks very cartoonish. Yeah, it's got, um, definitely a goat. Anybody out there listening to this, go check it out on uh, on the Wikipedia page. Uh, look up Full Throttle 1995 video game and check out some of the artwork for this game. I've never seen it. Um, I've never even played this, but this looks like something I might want to pick up on Steam if it's available. Yeah, it looks kind of like that classic. Um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Like a classic adventure game. Yeah, it's got that. If you're if if you're like Maniac Mansion, that type of stuff. Yes, yes, just like that. Yeah, that looks. It, cool. it looks like a even... game I would have played on PC. Yeah, exactly. I never even knew this existed, so I'm gonna have to mm -hmm. look this up. That is pretty cool. Learn something new every day. Well, you know what else you can learn from? Um, books. Yes. Books. <laughs> For you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, I'm happy to say that I finally finished Star Wars Bloodline. Finally. And it was, and it was really good. The really ending good was awesome. Yeah, it's like I said before, um, go get your Audible trial and try out bloodlines because there's a lot 
of information in that book of stuff that happens between episode six and seven, especially stuff that happens to um, Leia and her family, things like that. So go try it out. Listen to the book. I mean, it's a slow burn. It's definitely a slow burn. There's a lot of information in it. But once you get done with the book, you'll be glad you did. Once it gets to a certain point, it really like they hit their foot on the gas, like yeah. they floor it. It's really good. But again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook. And now we're gonna move into our review for this week. That's got to sound familiar. Isn't that music just so fun? <laughs> I love the music that Nintendo used to make for not only their first party games for the NES, but especially the Super Nintendo. Like all those songs are just so iconic. And they stick with you like as soon as you hear it like a second in, you know what it is. Oh, yeah. And it, it just brings back, you know, just opens the floodgates of memories. This week, I will be reviewing Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System released in, see, it was released in Japan August 27th, 1992, and North America released on September 1st. <coughs> um, this was a very, I want to, yeah, I would definitely say it's an iconic game because yeah. it started not just a series but it really was a standard bearer of racing games now in super mario kart the player takes control of one of eight mario series characters each with different capabilities in single player mode players can race against computer controlled characters in multi-race cups over three difficulty levels during the races offensive and speed boosting power-ups can be used to gain an advantage and alternatively players can race against the clock in a time trial mode and, of course, there's multiplayer as well. For this, uh, there was, uh, I believe it was two-player. Uh, let's see, Mario Kart uh, received positive reviews. It was praised for its presentation, innovation, and use of Mode 7 graphics. It's been ranked among the best games of all time by several organizations. Uh, diversity has led to it becoming the best-selling game franchise of all time. Wow. Guinness I didn't World even know Records that. named it as the top console game ever. Holy shit. <laughs> that says a lot for this game. Yes. I mean, they've made eight sequels to this point. <laughs> this game is not going to go anywhere. They're going to be making Mario Kart games until I am in the grave. And the thing about them is, yeah, they follow, like, the, the premise is basically the same. You have different cups they've added cups over the years but there's always the three difficulties mm -hmm. and they've added more characters as well but the concept of it hasn't really changed since 1992 it's perfect and you know what I mean, i'm i'm okay with that yeah it, it's a perfect concept you take you take characters you love and you put them in a racing game where you have uh, offensive capabilities 
you can play against your friends. You can play up to how many did couldn't you play up to uh um I don't know if it was this one, but I know uh future um you could play up to four people, couldn't you? Yes. That started um I think with Mario Kart sixty four. I think so. But just because... to be able to play against your friends in this type of game environment, it was just it has that this game is the epitome of Nintendo fun. Yes. And like you said, just the concept of it, you put a lot of Mario characters together and you race against each other. I would even say Mario Kart inspired Mario Party. Yeah, well, it it, it inspired all those um, like Mario Party. Uh, what were some of those other ones? All those different like Mario like kind of like mario golf mario yeah. tennis all those mario type of strikers games. yeah yeah it was this truly is it when you list iconic and you know standard bearing video games this has got to be dare i say in the top three i would top agree five. with that i would definitely agree with that because you got to look at everything like not just with mario kart but you've got uh Crash Team Racing for the original PlayStation, that was obviously inspired by Mario Kart. Mm. Diddy Kong Racing for the N64, that was inspired by Mario Kart. And you, from Mario Kart, they went on to Mario Party. Um, even Sonic went into that when they did uh, Sonic Shuffle for the Dreamcast, which was a terrible game. But it got its inspiration from Mario Party, which got its inspiration from Mario Kart. Yeah. And... Mario Kart, the original, to me, is still the most difficult because the controllers, or the controls can be a little difficult at times, especially compared to, you know, how smooth they are now. Yeah. Well, definitely, this think, game definitely... I think that adds to the challenge, though. Well, yeah, but I think it definitely um, benefits with, uh, especially for the when the Wii came out with motion controls, like... Mm -hmm. this game just was made for motion control. Yes. I remember uh, playing Mario Kart Wii, and you could get the uh, the steering wheel adapter mm -hmm. where you yep. could put the Wii remote in, and it's like you're actually driving a car. It was like one of the coolest video game experiences ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, this game is just it, pure joy. And there's not enough praise that I think we can give this game. I guess the only negative thing I could say is that many, uh, many a friendship has been tested <laughs> due to Mario Kart. Yes, I would go and say that is definitely true. When they invented the blue shell, that was like, <laughs> that was definitely an argument starter. Yeah, because you'd have that one guy who would be leading the entire time. Yep. And then you throw that blue shell and you hit him <laughs> right before he crosses the finish line and he ends up getting like fourth. There's um, a, a web comic that I follow. Actually, I, I listen to his podcast. He's from the, the frog pants studios. Uh, his name's Scott Johnson. And he did, he's got a web comic called my extra life. And I've been following him for about a decade now. And he did this one print. Um, it was the blue shell with wings on it. And it kind of was like, had this, uh, like orange background and it just looked real 
kind of like D and D almost. And in, and in the writing underneath was like this calligraphy type writing that said in the first last shall be first and the first shall be last. That thing has been like one of his best sellers. Not only that, but people steal it all the time. He finds it on <laughs> t-shirts where people steal that image and put it on t-shirts and sell it. And, you know, it's not like he, I mean, yeah, it's his d design, and it does fall under parody law, but there's really nothing he can do about it because it's a Nintendo idea, a Nintendo property. So he's just got to yeah. sit back and take it while all these people are just making money off of something he created. That was an awesome concept, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I still want to get the. He still has the poster on his store. If you ever, if you love Mario Kart and you want to get the poster for that, uh, just go to frogpants.com and go to his store. And I'm pretty sure he still has a print available of that. It's epic. No, absolutely. Favorite, uh, who's your favorite character to play as in Mario Kart? You know, I always tend to pick Toad whenever, even like, even in the side-scrolling games, uh, like Super Mario Brothers 2, whenever Toad's available, I always like playing him. He always seems to be like the little, the little tough badass. Like, he's yeah. hard to kill. Toad is hard to kill, man. He's he's like uh he's like John Claude Van Damme. He's hard to kill. <laughs> uh I'm just picturing somebody photoshopping like Toad's head on Van Damme's body. <laughs> I might have to actually do that. Uh mine would be as generic as it sounds, it would be Mario with Yoshi a very close second. Yeah. It just, you know, I, I like the all around uh characters. Yeah, I mean uh, Mario's always good, but it I don't know. There's something that I like about Toad. Like he's always he always takes off the fastest. He may not be the the fastest in the long run, but he always just seems to be the the, the fastest in general. Yeah. Uh favorite Mario Kart game? Um, well, the only two that I've played were this one and the Wii. And as far as nostalgia goes, I'm going to have to go with the first one. With this yeah. one, super, super, uh, super Mario Kart. Mine would be Super Mario Kart and then uh, a really close other one would actually be Double Dash for the GameCube. Because you could have uh, two people on a cart so you could do it's like uh two versus two like one person drives the other throws weapons and That's you could actually cool. swap like mid-race huh so Never like say if we're that. a team and i'm starting out <clears throat> as the driver you throw you know a weapon and then we can switch and then you're driving and then i'll throw the next weapon that's awesome i never i never even played those no double dash was great Wow, I, have to, I wish I could go back and get my um, get a GameCube again because I would just go crazy buying GameCube games. The GameCube was such a good console. It had a lot of good games. You know, Mario Sunshine gets a lot of flack for not being as good as Mario sixty four, but I like that. That's, game. that's a, yeah, it was a really good game. And Wind Waker was a great Zelda game. Oh. I don't care what anybody says. That game gets a lot of hate. I love that game. Wind Waker's a top three 
all-time favorite Zelda game for me. It's it's definitely a polarizing game. We may have to actually go back and review that at some point. I mean, I don't have a way to play it anymore. Maybe I could, whenever I finally get a Switch, maybe I could uh, get it off the, the Nintendo store if they have it available. But um, when they I, put the store online, yeah, eventually <laughs> by the time I get my switch, maybe it'll be up. Um, but I would love to go back and review that game because it is very polarizing. That would be a good game for just both of us to discuss, because I, I'm totally there with you. Like my three favorite Zelda games are probably because um, I haven't totally beat Breath of the Wild yet, so I can't really rank it would be um, Ocarina of Time. Link to the Past and Wind Waker. Hmm. Like it, it's it's that good. Like it got a lot of flack because of its look, but it has some of the best gameplay out of any Zelda game ever. Yeah. And a great story too. I still say my favorite Zelda game of all time is still gonna be Adventure of Link. Not Adventure of Link. Pff, Link to the Past. <laughs> As I slowly move my arrow yeah. towards the red hang up button. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that slipped out. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> I, I have to rip off that sound bite and save it for later. Oh, that's so, I can't believe that came <laughs> out of my mouth. It's so gross. Uh, it's <laughs> I have all to go good. wash my mouth out with soap. But no, that, that would definitely be, uh, that'd be a good idea to, uh, to do, to just do like, we'll, we'll defend, uh, we'll call it the case for Zelda, the wind waker. Yeah. We'll do that later in the year after I get my switch. Hopefully the, uh, the Nintendo store will be up and running and we can get it and we can both play it and review it. Yeah, they it, did an HD version for the Wii U. that was actually really nice to, to go back through and play like it. Actually, that game with its graphics looks great in HD. I almost bought a Nintendo Wii U the other day. They had one at the flea market, but I didn't even ask the guy how much it was. But I looked at it for a second. And I was like, mm, nah. Nintendo should actually pay us to take the Wii U at Man. this point. <laughs> I should call them and say, look, since I didn't get a uh, mini Nintendo, send me one of those Wii U's, assholes. <laughs> Click. <laughs> I have to actually go buy an old phone and get a landline just for a couple of hours, just so I can have the satisfaction of slamming the phone down. That would be like a great uh, SNL skit. <laughs> uh, I might have to talk to Wally about that. Maybe we can somehow incorporate that into monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just have Dracula just be really pissed that he didn't give a get a mini NES. Well, no, the devil could do it. Yeah, he he would he would be upset about that. He would that. definitely be upset about not getting yeah. the mini Nintendo. Yeah, among other things. <laughs> but, but no, uh, uh, Mario Kart. I I can't I can't praise it enough. Just oh, to yeah. list a couple of the the scores. Um, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it an eight and a half out of ten. Game Pro five stars. Cube 3, 9 out of 10. Honest Gamers, 10 out of 10. And Thunderbolt, 10 out of 10. That's crazy. I mean... <laughs> it's rare if you, to yeah. like get an almost perfect score. I mean, how many games have done that over the years? Not very many. Um, Ocarina of Time did. Because there's not too many games that have got a perfect score I know on IGN. Ocarina yeah. of Time was one. 
uh, Breath of the Wild Dead. I'm sure there was something else, but I can't remember what it is. I don't know, but it's it's a rarity. Hmm. But I I can't I can't praise Mario Kart enough. Like all the I have not played a bad Mario Kart game. Yeah, especially this first one for the Super Nintendo. If you have a Super Nintendo and you don't have Mario Kart, it's definitely one of those you need to pick up somewhere. And I think you could pretty much it's it's not a rare game at all. So you should yeah. be able to get a copy for relatively cheap. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my review of Super Mario Kart. Well, awesome. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get out of here this week? Um, I don't think so. I'm just glad to. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this at the top of the show, but I've been sick for like the past week. So uh, it's been good to uh, to get back into the podcasting thing because I haven't really I haven't really done anything besides my Star Wars celebration episode. So it's it's been nice to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, I just got back into town yesterday from uh, Tupelo Film Festival, where Monsters Anonymous was playing. Um, So anybody still hasn't seen it, go to helpthemonsters.com and you get to watch it for free. And uh, tell your friends. Speaking of movies, there's actually, uh, we're going to be on a film shoot together in a couple of months. Actually, let's tell people, is the uh, the Indiegogo page ready to go yet? Uh, that I'm not sure of. I know the Facebook page is. Um, so, I mean, if, if it's available, people can probably find it there. Yeah, there's a public page for it. Let me look it up real quick and see what the exact address is. Oops, I shouldn't have done that on this page. Let me go back and do this again. <laughs> Sorry. I know this is great radio. I'm just going to sit here and vamp while I look up survey oh no it's all good it's called is that how you pronounce it? yeah survey okay. um uh, the page is survey let me see what the exact address is uh, facebook.com slash survey film s-u-r-v-i-f-i-l-m and that'll take you directly to the page and uh, you'll see as soon as the indiegogo is up and running it's a sci-fi film written by steve wise who is um, Mr. Pensacon himself, basically. You know, I keep telling Steve he needs to change his middle name to The so he can be Steve the Wise. <laughs> exactly. That'd be perfect. <laughs> but no, uh, he he wrote and he will be directing a uh, short film that uh, you'll be you'll be on camera. I'll be yes. uh, I'll be holding a uh, long stick with a microphone on yeah, it. Yeah, you'll be holding a boom over my head. Just don't hit me with it. I will do my best. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, go check that out. And um, definitely, if you're interested, go uh, throw some money at the Indiegogo and uh, go check out Monsters Anonymous at HelpTheMonsters.com. And let's go ahead and get our laundry out there. Uh, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to our own webpage at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. Uh, you can follow us individually on Twitter at jfantastic and at Derek underscore diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And don't forget to go get your free Audible trial on us for 30 days and a free book, audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. 
May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. You've been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.